good morning and welcome to a uh, to a rabbi show. Um, you know, we 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 have it before as a priest and a rabbi, but uh, uh, Father Anderson is away uh, in the mountains, the Smoky Mountains of North Carolina, on assignment. So it is uh, myself here today with a very special guest. I have with me um, the director of the Shulman School uh, at Hebrew College. Uh, and the academic advisor, uh, Rabbi Dr. Michael Shire, who has joined us all the way from Boston, Massachusetts. He, uh, uh, I think he's coming in via, and this is this is this is a homage to uh, to Father Anderson. I think he's, I think he just landed via Zoom Airlines, uh, and he is here with us now in the studio. Uh, Rabbi Shire, welcome and uh, uh, welcome to the program. Good morning. It's great to to be here. We used to think of Zoom being the name, the the sound that a car would make as it would, you know, speeding up. And, and a waiting room was where you went to, to when you were the doctor or the dentist. So our language has completely changed. Yeah, absolutely. As, as I mentioned on high holidays to our community, you know, the last, the, the only time I've ever heard the term Zoom is in one of our Jewish songs where we go Zoom, golly, 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 Zoom, golly, golly. Only time I've heard of it. Um, but it is, it is wonderful to have uh, Rabbi Dr. Michael Shire join us today, where we will be discussing and examining, um, you know, where our morality, where our values, where our ethics, how can we bring back the 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 compassion and the understanding and the ability to speak to one another, panim panim, face to face, um, and to use uh, the opinions and the understanding from others in our world to impact us and influence us in some way. Uh, to become a more uh, harmonious and more congealed society. So it is with great pleasure that we welcome uh, Dr. Shire with us on the program. And um, I, I we're ready. To, I look forward to the discussion. Thank you. Me too. So on that view, uh, it is our pleasure to present to you uh, a priest and a rabbi. A priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi, a priest, a rabbi. The opinions you hear from on this show do not represent WSTU, since they probably regretted over allowing the show on the air in the first place. Nor do they represent Temple Bay Hayam or St. Mary's Episcopal Church, since they also wonder what the heck they did when they called these two men to lead their respective congregations. On that note, sit back, relax, Grab your Bible or Torah and enjoy another episode of A Priest and a Rabbi. Good morning, Stewarts. Good morning, Stuart, Florida. It is Rabbi Durbin here at Temple Beit Hayam. Uh, Father Christian Anderson is on assignment in North Carolina, uh, spending some time, uh, some well-deserved time with his, uh, with his wife and his new, I guess not, no, not so new anymore, um, I think he's about eight months old, mm -hmm. um, his, uh, his baby boy. So we wish him uh, a wonderful time away before his kind of crazy season comes up um, in just a few weeks, obviously with Christmas and obviously with us with Hanukkah, but we are Thrilled that you joined us this morning for a priest and a rabbi for a very impactful conversation. And I'm, I'm, I'm super excited today. Um, 
I have with us a very special guest, um, a very uh, close friend and dear colleague of mine, uh, Rabbi Dr. Michael Shire, who joins us out of uh, Boston, Massachusetts. And uh, it is, uh, I, I, I'm thrilled uh, just to be able to have the wisdom and the knowledge of such uh, an amazing, amazing individual, um, just to give a little bit of background uh, for us, that uh, Rabbi Dr. Michael Shire uh, grew up in Birmingham, not Birmingham, but Birmingham, England, and completed his um, bachelor's degree in Hebrew literature and Jewish history at University College of London. Uh, he continued his studies at Hebrew Union College, both in New York and Los Angeles, completing his master's and PhD in Jewish education. Uh, his work, uh, his research work later to be published, proposed a curriculum orientation for spiritual enhancement in Jewish educational settings. He has concurrently served as the director of education at uh, Temple Beth Hillel, a large reform synagogue in North Hollywood, California. Uh, upon returning to Great Britain, to the United Kingdom in 1988, he took up the post as national director of the Center for Jewish Education, developing the infrastructure, day schools, and professional and academic learning of Jewish education in the UK. Uh, following his further study, he was ordained as a rabbi at Leobeck College uh, in 96. And in 2001, he merged the Center for Jewish Education with the Rabbinic Training School at Leobeck College, became its vice principal uh, for an additional 11 years. He became the professor and director Dean. Dean. of the Shulman School at Hebrew College in Boston. He has written numerous articles and many books from profits to celebrating life cycle events uh, to the whole gambit. And it is, uh, it is just such a joy. Um, uh, Rabbi Shire's wife, um, Rabbi Marsha Plum, also serves um, as a rabbi in, uh, in her capacity as well. They have two wonderful children and it is, uh, it is just such a joy, such a pleasure to have um, Rabbi Shire, you to join us today on the program as a priest and a rabbi. So Thanks. welcome. Thanks. Good morning, everyone. Uh, delightful to be here. Actually, I have a T-shirt from every single one of those institutions. It's probably all I've got left, but uh, <laughs> I can I can wear a t I could wear you know, any of those T-shirts. I think they've got them all in my drawer. Uh, I, have a, I have my CJE green sweatshirt as well. We thought green was the right color in those days. I'm not sure why. Mm. Amazing how the colors have changed over. Yeah, yeah, definitely. Uh, I think my my Lairbeck sweater, like yours, is probably white. Is that right? Uh, with the new, with the well, the new logo that we created at the time, they moved to a new logo after we left. But mm. uh, yeah, and then of course, uh, key part of all sorts and shapes with with logos on it. It's amazing what we Jews collect. Absolutely. So you know, to 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 break out the conversation, I know that um, you know, Rabbi Shai, we we spoke before and we were talking about, you know, how do we live in a world today. Um, largely in the context of America or even worldwide, where we, we seemingly see in some way a, an erosion of our values and our ethics. And, and in no way am I saying that America has done away with its social values or its ethics. And you know, I think that we still do hold it very dear and very sacred, but it seems like over the last little while that, that this, 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 the, the impact and the, the feeling amongst um, you know, the states and this country seems to have a little bit of an eroded mentality in terms of how we talk to one another, how we address one another. Um, you know, I'd just love to hear your thoughts on, 
you know, how you see it. Because I think, I think you present a very interesting and very um, important picture, which is more of a global understanding, of course, being in Britain and the United Kingdom. Uh, for those that are joining us and are not familiar with it, it's, it's that island country that is partly America, but partly European, but can't it's really the find some state, right? Right. So it, it's trying to find that healthy balance. But I think, yeah. I think, you know, to, to use the experience and, and, and your experience, both in, in, in Europe and the United Kingdom, as well as your experience in America, what are your thoughts on it? Well, you, you and I, Matt, have both lived in the US uh, and the UK <clears throat> over you know, long periods of time, and you obviously were born in Canada. Um, I, I, I don't know if you agree with this, but what we found when we came to the US, and it was my second uh, period of time in the US when I came, <clears throat> was the difference between the kind of society that um, these two very similar English-speaking Western-type civilizations have. And I find that the UK, and I think this has come out during the COVID period particularly, is that the UK is still a society. It still considers itself one whole um, and where national institutions are still important, like the, the National Health Service. And during the COVID period, there was, as people may or may not know, there was a, a time when every Thursday evening, people in Great Britain would come out of their houses, stand on their doorsteps and clap. And they were doing this for the National Health Service. As a national institution, it was considered to be uh, a treasure, a gem, something essential in their lives. They're, they're paying tax for it uh, through their income. And uh, these these kind of institutions, it's not only the National Health Service, it's the post office and it's the uh, it's the army uh, and it's um, even perhaps parliament in some ways. People consider it as their institution and they they look to it as something that they they're invested in, that they own, that they want to have a part in. I find here in the Americas, we are less um coherent about these matters it's a much bigger country of course so we don't have so much investment in national institutions um, obviously our local ones are important to us but something like the post office which i know has been tested greatly this summer um, is uh you know people haven't valued it up to now maybe they do more now but uh, i still see that the nature and the fabric of society is different here i suppose the one item here that is stronger then in the UK are the churches and the synagogues. Hmm. Uh, I certainly see that the amount of religious participation um, is so much stronger in North America than it is in Northern Europe, um, though whether that's changed uh, recently. We've certainly seen a huge increase in attendance services through online services in the last six months. I don't know if that's been the case for hmm. you and Stuart, but certainly here in, in Boston, there were times when my wife's synagogue, which normally would get like, you know, half a dozen people on a Friday night, suddenly was getting 50, 100, 150 people uh, in April and May and June. I mean, that's gone down a bit now. And of course, every crisis does create a religious awakening. And that's certainly been part of our experience here mm. up, up here. But I do think I wonder, different societies. I, you know, I wonder, I wonder too, um, you know, with the ability for us to obviously, as we pivot to go online and everything is now virtual, um, you know, is it, is it about, uh, you know, service for convenience? I don't have to get out of my house. I don't have to get in my car. I don't have to drive to the synagogue. I don't have to see people. I can do it in the comforts of my home. You know, I can access it any time. 
you know, I think we see the same thing is that when we went virtual, I mean, our attendance of, of, of seeing our services almost went, you know, double, triple, because it was just, it was that much easier. Um, you know, I, I, I love what you said too, in terms of looking at, you know, social, social services within the UK, how it's done here in America. I know that the health, the health industry and the, you know, the medical field is a very contentious issue here in, in the United States. Um, not so much in Britain, not so much in, you know, the Commonwealth. Um, growing up in Canada, it was obviously a, our taxes are a little bit higher, but every person has the right uh, to universal health care. And, I, you know, I just want to share a story because, you know, I, I remember years ago, I think I may have been in, I think it was in my fourth year of rabbinical school. I had a meeting down in central London. Um, I was late. Uh, I jumped over a guardrail, I think at like King's Cross, St. Pancras Station, um, twisted my ankle, cracked it. Um, and I remember, I remember having a colleague say to me later that evening, your ankle looks like a grapefruit. You got to go to the hospital. So I remember going to the hospital. I went in, you know, and, and as I'm being triaged, that said to me, how are you, how are you claiming this national health service or are you going to go private? And I had both and I, uh, the, the national health service and I had, I had private health care. And I remember saying to, to the triage nurse, what will get me seen faster? Thinking it would be private, but it was actually quite the opposite. So after being seen, and I remember as I was leaving, the, the, the nurse had said, oh, sir, you need to go down to the basement and go to billing. And I thought to myself, but I thought this was a free service. It's what I pay my taxes for and what have you. And she said, no, 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 you don't understand. How did you get here? Did you take a taxi? Yes. Well, we'll reimburse you. <laughs> and I just thought to myself, you're paying me money back to get to, you know, at that point, it wasn't, it wasn't a far distance. I lived in North London. I went to whatever it was, the Royal Free Hospital. And it was just something that, you know, really struck me with a multiplicity of other things within Britain, not only the health services, but the arts, um, as we know, right? If you were to go down to the West End of London, you can go see the theater, a musical, any night of the week, it's affordable. Whereas, you know, maybe we save for six or eight months to be able to spend that one night on Broadway to be able to see a musical on Broadway. And it just, you know, it really highlights the, 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 the intricacies and the, and the delicate, you know, the, the differences between our two societies in terms of where the focus is. Um, and, you know, for, for, for you, you know, growing up in Britain and obviously having that opportunity where the government and, and the society values the arts, and in no way am I saying that America doesn't value the arts, but it just seems like there is a different focus. Well, yeah, because um, we've seen that the way in which we've, the two societies have reacted to this particular period, you know, from September onwards, has been that um, the British schools have remained open and colleges and universities. And in order to, to make that decision, which has been a, a positive and uh, intentional decision, they have then created a situation where other parts of society have had to close down. So in order for children to go to school, which they felt was the most important thing to sustain, they have made sure that other things, restaurants, pubs, um, all the other things that we've been talking about here have, have had to close. Um, and therefore parents and teachers and families have been kept safe in a bubble. Um, and by and large, schools have continued. Um, my son is at the University of Edinburgh. Uh, he's, he's studying remotely, but he's on campus and he's in his, 
in his apartment in his flat and um you know the the experience is continuing however um here we keep coming kind of fits and bursts we're open and then we're closed and we're open and closed and people are getting tired of this and they don't really want to continue not knowing exactly what's going to happen but as dr fauci said the you know vaccine is on the way and we we should keep keep going because we've got to persevere to get to the point where we're we're going to be safe again and that's important for everyone so wear masks and be safe and and and, you know interesting that you 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 raise the issue which i think you know in our culture and our own society today you know where does that leave us i mean are we in covid fatigue that says you know what i've been holed up in my house now for eight nine months um whatever it is whatever the challenges are I'm ready to brave it. I'm ready for whatever may be. And if it means that I need to just get out and, and access, you know, then, then other things kind of drop by the wayside. So I, I, I guess, you know, especially in your context, you know, obviously look in an institution and, and training students for, you know, the rabbinate and, and, and certainly Jewish education and, um, you know, that type of stuff. Are we, are we seeing a lack of in some degree, a lack of empathy in terms of where our society is today. And, and, you know, when we look at it religiously and go through, you know, religious lines, you know, certainly as Jews, we have always, always overemphasized, you know, the values and ethics, certainly in a progressive, and again, I'm not talking progressive, political progressive, just more in terms of religious theology, in terms of how we, how we go about it. Um, Absolutely. Yeah, I think, I think the, uh, the moral compass is off and we, we need to get back to true north mm-hmm. because we, we have a huge population, it's highly polarized, where we have very different and sharp conflicts between each other. We're, the very nature of society is in question. I mean, the very nature of Western democracy and how it can operate on a very large scale, um, notwithstanding any of the election results, it's, it's, it's more about the very... The, the very idea that you, you can have different views, different opinions and live in the same nation state. Um, I, I just finished reading 1948, which is a, a book by Benny Morris, which is about the establishment of the state of Israel. You know, and there was a moment, there was a brief moment where it was very possible that Jews and Arabs and Palestinians in that part of the world could have lived together in peace and with the sharing of resources that were that were being made available. And then it, it went the other way. And it was primarily because of you know, bad actors, characters who, who just felt that for their own power, their own need to exert their authority, they did not want, they did not feel actually the, the joint work was, was going to be uh, something that was in their interest. And so, um, we create we create a situation that 75 years later we're still trying to to get to resolve. Mm-hmm. Um, I'm I think it, it it is important to look back. You know, you have to look back at your history and say, have we have we reconciled everything that we made a mistake about before? Is there other things we need to put right? And in order to create a society where people can live together and and should want to learn from each other, what's the best way of, of doing that? You know, when, when um, you'll know this, Matt, when, when Moses um, took the children of Israel out of Egypt, what was the first question he asked? It wasn't about the promised land and it wasn't about um, Sinai or the Torah. It was about the children. He said, Manish Tana Halayla Hazer, the children will ask what happened on that night. 
and he looked forward to the next generation. He looked forward to what would happen when the next generation reflected on that moment. And that's that's what we need to do too. We need to think about our actions in the light of the next generation. What's going to happen, whether it's climate change or whether it's Western democracy, living together, finding a place in our society for everyone. Hmm. That's what we're going to have to do. And we should stop looking at our own navels and start looking around oh, the next generation. You know, it's interesting, interesting that you mentioned in terms of, you know, looking back. And I think I think we have to be able to understand our past before we can look towards our future and how we can you know, make moments that are meaningful and valuable. Um, and, and just looking at how perhaps maybe in our society that there are many who feel that, you know, democracy and the ability to listen and empathize and hear one another has largely um, been put by the wayside. Um, and, and, you know, it makes me think um, clearly, obviously, in a Jewish context of the treatments to, way, uh, to which we have given our sages. Um, and if we look uh, just for you know those that may not be familiar, we have two different seemingly types of Talmuds. One known as the Yerushalmi, the Jerusalem Talmud. Which uh, let me just say, um, just for our, our listeners out there, uh, it is a misnomer. It was not written in Jerusalem. Uh, it was written in the north uh, in the Sea of Galilee and Tiberias. But then we have the other Talmud, the more expansive Babylonian Talmud. And just in terms of how the sages would talk to one another and engage in what we would consider as a healthy dialogue and a healthy debate. Um, and you would see the the you know the 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 sages from Jerusalem, and you would see the sages from Babylonia, and 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 Jerusalem would 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 knock them down. I mean, they they would be not even civil. I mean, it was you know you Babylonians, you live in dark places and uh, you know engage in obscure discussions, and you know it made me think for a while: is this is this history repeating itself? That you know if I can if I can assert myself in some way that. In, emphasizes my position does that bolster my my status does it make me higher does it make me in any way um uh, uh more authoritative you know what what does that mean and are we seeing that in some way in our own culture today of well i may not agree but where did the where did that value and that and that element of i might not agree but at least i can listen you know, for, for, for you, have you seen that been eroded away? Yeah, it's a great, great idea that <clears throat> the idea of conflict, which is very much part of the rabbinic mentality, the machloket, the, uh, the idea that you could argue positions and that the Talmud records as we, as we know, both the majority and the minority positions, because it, it's not just about what we all agree about, it's about what those people who disagree, what do they have to say, and maybe in a later generation, we can learn from that. Actually, I learned this week, and you may know this better than me, the Spanish word for conflict, apparently is the same word that fishermen use for entanglement of their fishing nets. Wow. I'm not sure what the word is, but... Um, what I what I learned from that was that, you know, when fishing nets get tangled up, they need to be repaired. They need to be untangled. They need to be repaired. It's a lot of work. You know, people spend the whole the, the, whole, the whole day fixing their nets and then they go out fishing and they can't go out fishing until they've got that repaired and sorted out. So getting into the entanglement, getting into the complexities of any argument um, and trying to unpick that, trying to find a way out in order that we can fix what we need to do so that we can 
you know, sustain ourselves is part of what conflict is about. Conflict isn't just about shouting at each other. It's about trying to work out the differences between each other and then coming to some sense, maybe not of agreement. We, we may not be able to agree, which is fine, but we've got to find a way in which we can live with that disagreement. Um, I've always said that um, the hardest thing for us to do, particularly in a new, a new world, is to understand that whenever you learn something new, you don't know what you don't know. You know, you can't, you can't know what, when, when we, when you and I started this whole thing in last April at Pesach time, going on to Zoom and leading services and how to speak to a camera. And as you said, we were never taught that at rabbinical school. So we didn't know what we didn't know. Now we kind of know what we don't know. We know we're not uh, TV anchors. Mm-hmm. Um, and we, we know a little bit more how to do it, but uh, maybe, you know, one day we'll get be better at it. But um, it's has that, it, has that ever come into into conversation in terms of, you know, the rabbinical school at Hebrew College in terms of adding an additional course or or some perspectives on virtual learning and virtual, you know, we call it tefillah, virtual services, virtual prayer in terms of how we can best access. Because obviously this was not, you know, when I was in rabbinical school, you know, when we, we started our, our, our relationship 18 years ago. Um, you know, it was the furthest thing from anyone's mind in terms of, you know, God forbid we were ever to shut down. I mean, look, the last time countries shut down was 103 years ago um, with the Spanish flu. So, you know, have have those conversations happened in terms of, you know, looking forward? Uh, I think we're still trying to get rabbis to to think about talking to the congregants in a polite and friendly way so i'm afraid we're we're not quite there yet um but uh, the rabbinical curriculum does change uh but it's still a 2000 year old endeavor and um we you know if you came to our rabbinical school um probably right now you'd you'd see people um learning these ancient texts uh and uh, and praying and learning how to lead prayer uh, which are the main functions of a rabbi perhaps but um yeah, we, we, we need to do more in the future. That's true. Absolutely. Well, I, I will say I am I am much happier to be on this end um, out of rabbinical school than to be back in rabbinical school. Um, although it was it, it was it was a very pleasurable and incredible experience. Uh, I am I am much happier uh, to have that degree on my wall uh, and to be able to serve communities. But um um, so we are just going to take a, a, a short break, and when we come back, we will uh, delve a little bit deeper into our culture, our society today, uh, with our special guest, Rabbi Dr. Michael Shire. You're listening to a priest and a rabbi podcast. If you haven't done so yet, make sure to subscribe and please leave a rating and a review, five-star rating and a positive review if you can. We certainly appreciate it. That is the best way to make sure that others out there just like you can find this podcast. If you want to get in contact with Father Christian and Rabbi Durbin, you can do so by emailing a priest and a rabbi at gmail.com. And the absolute best way 
to get a hold of the fellas is to call into the radio show. This podcast airs live on the radio every Friday morning from 9 to 10 a.m. on WSTU 1450. And you can listen live online at WSTU1450.com. And if you want to join the show, you can call in to 772-220-9788. That's 772-220-WSTU. Hey, everyone. This is Father Christian here on A Priest and a Rabbi. So happy for you to be here on this podcast with us. And I want to let you know that I have started a YouTube channel called Your Favorite Christian. And you can check it out on YouTube. And every Monday, I drop a new episode. And it's always through the lens of faith, but taking on different topics such as dating, relationships, marriage, pop culture. I've done one recently where I went out to the art show and talked about how do we find our relationship with God through all the what all the latest artists are doing. Um, last week was what do women really want um, in a man uh, and interviewing different people to be a part of that. So uh, please check that out on YouTube. Subscribe, like, share, uh, put on the notifications so you get that every Monday. Um, I also want to let you know of uh, we this podcast wouldn't be here if it wasn't for a generous donor from St. Mary's Episcopal Church who wishes to remain anonymous. All he asked, though, was that um, the information gets out that St. Mary's Episcopal Church here in Stewart has a healing center. And so you can call if you're looking for a counselor, someone to be there for you during a challenging time, and you can call the church at 772-287-3244. We also have a group of Stephen ministers who have been trained over 50 hours of training to be with you and walk with you during a time of crisis. They are not counselors. They are trained just to be more of the presence um, of, of Christ or and, and walk with you during a time of crisis, whether it's a, a good crisis of having, oh my gosh, my daughter's about to get married, or if there's something a little bit heavier. So give us a call, 772-287-3244, and I thank that anonymous donor who uh, makes this all possible. All right, God bless you, and enjoy the rest of the podcast. Scott, that's possible. Ah. Welcome back to Stewart, Florida. Welcome back to, uh, well, not really a priest and a rabbi today. Uh, today it just happens to be uh, two rabbis discussing uh, their personal thoughts and their, their personal ethics and values um, uh, regarding as how we see our, our world, our nation, uh, and our own communities. So uh, again, it is such a pleasure to welcome to our program Rabbi Michael Doctor Rabbi Doctor Michael Shire, who joins us out of Hebrew College here in Boston, Massachusetts. Um, so again, Rabbi Shire, uh, wonderful to have you. Wonderful to great, have you. Great to be here, man. So you know, I guess I guess to to, to go back is I, I like what you said before, which was you know we have to go back to our history, um, you know, and it's it, it it it's always an interesting concept. Um, you know, I had, I had a long conversation with my wife about this, uh, you know, years ago. Uh, my wife was ordained uh, at Hebrew Union College in New York City. Um, and, you know, when they were ordained, uh, none of them had an opportunity to speak, right? They, they were ordained. The president of HUC comes together. If you were blessed to have a spouse or a, a family member that was a rabbi, they could come up and bless you. And I had the opportunity, great fortunate opportunity to bless my wife um, when she became ordained. But there was something where I had said, why didn't you get to say anything? Why didn't you speak? And she said, well, there's 30 of us. You know, long if you had to speak for five, 10 minutes with 30 people. Um, and, and, you know, I was very lucky as uh, through my tenure of Leo Beck, where 
you know, we started with X number of students. Um, it is like law school where, where, you know, Rabbi Shire, whether it was you or maybe it was, you know, Jonathan Magomet that said, you know, look to your right, look to your left, half of you won't be here by the end of year one, uh, which was certainly the case in, in my year. And, you know, we graduated, I was ordained with, with four others. And we did have the opportunity to, you know, give an address, our kind of ordination address as we spoke. And I, I spent a long time, almost, you know, I want to say I spent five years crafting <laughs> it in my head. Um, but I, I, I was very impacted by, of course, the Torah portion that we read um, uh, two weeks ago of uh, Shabbat Lechacha, Parshat Lechacha, where Abraham gets the call by God to leave Ur of the Chaldees, you know, modern day Iraq, and move uh, and migrate his way uh, to the promised land. Um, and I remember as I gave this speech, there was something that I, I felt very strong at, which is we cannot uh, and, 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 and should not progress forward unless we fully understand our sacred narrative and our sacred past. Um, you know, we, 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 you know, from a Judaic perspective, I had always seen, and especially now in 2020, I certainly see as a Jewish concern, um, the issues that present itself in terms of accessibility and relevancy, right? How do we make our tradition, our, 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 our knowledge relevant, um, 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 current, but at the same time, you know, be respectful of, you know, our sacred narrative. And, you know, going through this three to five minute speech, and, you know, I remember as I, as I finished, there was a part of me that said, that's just it. It's, it's in order to understand the past, we have to really, really come to terms with the past, whether whether we like it or not. Um, and I think I think when we look at our own culture today in the United States, you know, ten years ago, I think I think is a very different country than it is today. I think even five years ago. And again, not talking politics or you know political parties because that's a separate issue in and of itself. But I wonder where where this erosion starts breaking down. Um, you know, Judaism is rich with its with its knowledge and its 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 positions. You know, there are always always arguments to the rule. There are always uh, differing opinions, but it's always been taken with you know a slight degree of a grain of salt. It is always taken with um, not malice, but it has always been taken with you know great integrity and great respect. Um, and I wonder, you know. Uh, from from your perspective and, and and your thoughts you know how does how is that you know manifest itself well it's interesting you you should talk about Lech Lecha, the story of abraham and god's call to him to leave part of your rabbinic ordination speech um because this week is parashat toldot which um you'll read tomorrow in shul and it's it's a story about how rivka so that that's uh, abraham's daughter-in-law um becomes the key figure in this new generation and she takes on the the call if you like because God speaks to her and only to her not to her husband um, Isaac and says to her there are two babies in your womb and the younger will rule the older and these twins are going to fight between each other and it's only Rivka who really understands this because she's given some forewarning by God that this is going to happen and therefore she feels herself uh, destined to take action to make sure that God's word comes to fruition. Her poor husband who doesn't seem to know anything um, doesn't um, have the opportunity to make those choices because uh, he's in the dark and so Rivka sets uh, sets up the second generation of this biblical family and I suppose we see 
uh, in these biblical stories, we see uh, the the yearning and the struggling to to fulfill God's word, but also the the problems that that engenders in the families. The families are not perfect. Um, we might even say they're somewhat dysfunctional, but they they we live with those faults. You know, we live with that sense that not that people are not perfect. That we have to create societies where there is uh, a strong sense of the of the moral compass, as I said before, that we kind of know what the right thing to do is. And if we don't quite get there, hakarat hatov is a Jewish expression, meaning, you know, we'll try and find the best way. We'll try and find the gratitude. We'll try and find the blessings in life. We'll try and make the most of every moment. Uh, one thing that um, I recall, you know, this summer when we were going through COVID was that people kept talking about waiting. You know, we're locked in. We're waiting. We're waiting to get out. We're waiting for something to happen. Well, the waiting in Judaism is often not about something that happens in the distant future. The waiting is now. So spend more time with your kids, play a game, play chess. If you've watched the Queen's Gambit, play chess with your kids, do something fun. Um, enjoy the time that you have, even if it's different from what you normally have and make the most of every moment that you can count every day, our, our sages said. So, um, you know, we're coming up to Hanukkah. We know that there's a myth about Hanukkah, the myth of the, the miracle. Um, of at the end of the story um, and we know that we've always taught our kids that there was only oil enough left for one day and it lasted for eight days but we also know that that was a story that was added on to this historical story um, from 500 years earlier so we are living in a religious world we're living with myth and there's nothing wrong with that you know we've got to we've got to live with both um, everything in the past that's that's real and we've got to live with the myths as well and put them in context thanksgiving is coming up next week there's a myth about the pilgrims as if they were the first europeans to land on these shores and had a thanksgiving dinner with native americans well we you in florida know that better than we do up here in massachusetts mm -hmm. the first settlements were in florida of europeans not not even counting the vikings who came up to nova scotia and newfoundland so um we've got to live with the stories um we've got to understand that many of those stories are myths they're not they're not true, but truth doesn't necessarily mean that um, there is some moral um, message in those stories. And let's try and take the moral messages that we have, whether it's in the Bible or it's in Hanukkah or it's in the Thanksgiving story, take the best of what we have, show gratitude and compassion, as you said, and, and let's try and live a society where those things are important to us. And, and, and I love what you said, because I think you, you brought up not only, yeah, you know, biblical and in terms of, um, you know, our 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 matriarchs and our patriarchs, you know, and I think that their messages are, are you know, so crucial to our own understanding. I mean, I, I speak of this publicly from the pulpit where I will say, look, our, our Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, right, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, Leah, amazing leaders, Moses, amazing leader. You don't want to take your parental advice from our sages. <laughs> right? They were horrible parents because we don't hear about that love or that compassion we only hear about the leadership role that they serve within their own respective um, um, thoughts. You know, I remember uh, when I when I interviewed um, for rabbinical school, and I remember sitting there, and uh, one of uh, our colleagues had asked the question of, "Do you believe that Abraham, Isaac, and Jacob, Sarah, Rebecca, Rachel, and Leah existed?" Right. And uh, I, I, I very adamantly said, "Absolutely." And uh, one of one of uh, one of the rabbis had said, "You know, they did not exist." Um, 
There's no evidence to prove that they existed. We use them when we use the story as a, a, a morality and for morals and values and life lessons on how we live our lives. And I remember being very moved by that. I remember being very angered because a part of me says, what are you talking about? You've now thrown everything I've ever believed in Judaism out the window. And I remember saying to, to you know, this person, um, you know, after ordination, I think I was just about to walk down the aisle and, 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 and in my exit interview and said, you know, you mentioned this to me X amount of years ago. I still believe that they existed. I want to believe they existed. Uh, it's like creation, right? We all are aware of Darwin's theory of evolution. We can understand humanity as how we, how we evolve. I can understand it theoretically. I can understand it, um, you know, passionately. But a part of me that says, I long to believe the stories of the Bible. And knowing that the stories of the Bible, maybe they are, you know, they're pieces, parts and pieces taken from other, you know, ancient Near Eastern mythologies that we wove in and created as our own. But there's something really powerful uh, about the belief. And I remember saying to, to my colleague at the time, how can I serve a congregation and the Jewish people if I, I, if I don't believe? Um, I want to believe. Uh, and I remember saying, saying to, this, to this person years later, um, you ruined it for me. And, and, and now, after all my training, um, I still believe what I said in my interview, which is we have not found the evidence yet. Maybe we will, maybe we won't. But I think that the, the message clearly for you know, our patriarchs and our matriarchs and the long lineage of Judaism is that each of our uh, biblical narratives serve as a lesson and uh, serve as morality for us as human beings. We go back to the story of, um, of the binding of Isaac. And even if we go a little bit before Genesis 21 with Hagar, you know, Sarah does not even, even remotely think about what she's doing to her stepson. She doesn't think about what she's doing to, you know, seemingly Abraham's wife, um, albeit not the first choice, but, um, right, you know, but, but what Abraham does is he exhibits compassion and love, right? He wakes up early in the morning just before he sends Hagar out, and instead of just saying, okay, sweetie, goodbye, and Ishmael, Sorry there, bud, but, uh, you know, I'll never see you again. She gives, he gives a skin of, you know, skin of water and food. Right. That there's compassion there. Sarah doesn't. She doesn't even get off her, you know, her, her sleeping. She just, there's, there, there's something there about how we approach the situation and what we can do to make it a little bit more pleasant. Right, right. Absolutely. And the, um, the stories of the Bible, um, are definitely grounded in you know in our land in in our sense of of reality but they're they're there for another purpose they're there for a moral lesson they're there to to keep us going on the right way to keep us in 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 the light of what what we think god wants of us and also to be a light to the nations you know that's the most important thing for me in in judaism is to is to know how we can take the inheritance this is a been around a long time you know other peoples have come and gone and we've uh you know sometimes we say you know about the jewish holidays that um you know they came for us we beat them now let's eat and that's the message of pretty much every jewish holiday uh, so we've been around a long time and uh, we've taken these stories and we've actually given them to the world in a sense 
and the world has taken them on, particularly, obviously, Christianity and the Quran has included um, these stories. And again, it's it's about the reality that they offer us about what it is to live together, be part of a, a society that respects and encourages difference, but also lives in harmony. Until we can get to that point, um, we will continue to be in conflict and we will have to continue to be get untangled uh, along the way. You know, it, it's interesting, just, uh, you know, I'm reminded of, of, of the Midrash, and just for those that are not familiar with the term Midrash, it is, you know, the stories, the parables that the rabbis created to, to fill in the gaps that the, the Bible did not truly make clear. Um, and, you know, it's, it's interesting when we think about it, especially because you talked about, you know, the respect, right, the respect and the, the morals that we give to our leaders or to our friends, our family, our community, and just reminded of the Midrash that when Abraham dies, and uh, all the nations, right, all the nations of the world came together and wailed and cried bitterly, today we have lost our leader. And I think that there's something really powerful about it. It didn't say, today we have lost our Israelite leader, or today we lost our Hebrew leader. It's These are nations, sparring nations around, around the ancient Near East that come together and say, today we have lost our leader. And, and, and there's something that, I don't know, kind of resonates really deeply of, there was such such respect and such care given that that today is respect and honor the same you know in hebrew we would call it uh, you know kaved uh, you know uh, but you know that that honor or that respect also in hebrew with kaved also means to be heavy is it a heavy burden for us to do is it not is it easy is it something that we're conflating the issues of respect and um morality are they totally separate or are they the same? Right. I was working with a young child uh, teaching her the story of um, Moses going to Pharaoh saying, let my people go. And um, there's a very nice uh, piece of the story that, that suggests that Moses went with, with respect, with kavod to Pharaoh. Mm. And um, so when I said to the child, you know, why do you think Pharaoh let the people go? And Immediately she responded, I think he let the people go because Moses was polite to him mm. and treated him with kindness. Mm. And okay, fine, that's great. That's a message that I would love young people to learn. Um, and if they get they get to that from reading the Bible, that's, that's perfect, that's great. Mm -hmm. uh, in terms of rabbis, um, I remember I was in Los Angeles uh, when I was studying there in the 80s and one of the, the rabbis from the um, the big synagogue there had died. And he, he had been uh, a rabbi for many, many years and had um, provided great leadership for his synagogue. And I was in the supermarket and um, there were these supermarket, work, supermarket workers talking to each other, some were African-American, some were Hispanic. And I was kind of walking by them and I was overhearing them. And they were saying, did you hear our rabbi died? And it was like, oh, my gosh, you know, like they said, our rabbi, thinking he was the leader of 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 uh, of them as well. Um, so, you know, we can have amazing influence. And just going to go back to what you asked me earlier about what, what rabbis are learning these days. I suppose I was a bit tongue in cheek, but um, the enormous work that our rabbis have done over the last particularly over the last nine months in supporting those people who've really suffered, uh, who've been locked in who have suffered the loss or the death of a loved one, 
um, you yourself as a, a rabbi of a congregation, it's been enormously hard work. You must be exhausted. And I mean, I work in academia um, and I do have a High Holy Day pulpit. And, you know, I was I was in the UK in my, at my High Holy Day pulpit for a couple of weeks in September. And it was, hard, you know, it was, it was soul destroying to see the way in which lives had been altered and the ways in which people were really uh, suffering from um, this current situation. So you have to deal with it all year round. And uh, I know how hard you work. So it's that it, the, the rabbis have an enormous role to play. They are an essential service, much like the health services and the social services, because we're offering comfort, we're offering healing. Uh, we have to deal with people who are bereaved with funerals that are not like they used to be, shivers that are online. Um, I, my family uh, suffered a bereavement this summer. I could not go to the funeral. You know, it was really devastating. And I got to the to the cemetery um, a couple of months later and I stood at that grave and, and just wept because I hadn't been able to to be there for the funeral. And it, it was it wasn't until that moment that I was able to say goodbye properly. Mm-hmm. So the rabbis have a great deal of respect um, and they have earned that. And, you know, you know, e- interesting that you raise that, you know, even if we take it biblically, you know, for those that may be familiar with the stories of Aaron, right? And, and of course, Aaron's sons present alien fire to God and God effectively swallows them up. And, you know, Aaron is elevated to become the high priest. And, you know, we seemingly look at, at, at our text and go through it and say, okay, Aaron was never truly really punished. Well, actually, if we go beyond the level of the surface and we go deep into our text, we actually learn that Aaron never had the opportunity to mourn the loss of his sons. And I think that that is one of the most painful, and especially in our context today of COVID, I mean, we've done funerals where it's been myself and the funeral director. You know, families have opted not for Shiva because it's so difficult and so challenging to be able to do it. And I don't know if these families actually have the proper time to reflect and mourn the loss of their loved ones. Um, And I think if we don't have that proper opportunity to do so, it just erodes at our system. So suddenly we become COVID fatigued and we become more aggressive in some way and really say, you know what, this is this is my personal narrative. This is my story. And if you don't want to hear it, there's the door. You can shut out your ears. And I think that we're seeing much more of that today in our society, whereas, I mean, look, I, you know, I grew up with this understanding and mentality that everyone has worth everyone has value, every opinion is to be at least heard. It may not be respected, but it could be heard um, and it could be acknowledged. Um, but it's that acknowledgement that I think, um, you know, if, if we say something that may be, you know, not to our liking, you know, do we just shut down completely? Do we, you know, only hear what we want to hear? Or can we actually engage in a, in a healthy debate that says, I may not agree, but I'm really interested in your thoughts and your ability to move us forward you you should say something about your rabbinic thesis on tikkun olam because that was a really important study of trying to understand how judaism has used that concept maybe not with that phrase all the time but has been part of jewish life and just just for our listeners that may not be familiar just the term tikkun olam um um, in today's context means uh, repair mending the world uh when it was used two thousand years ago was not that context at all had nothing to do with that it was actually more the protection of women's rights uh, but beyond that, you know, um, uh, um, Rabbi Shire, as you suggested, look, from, from the 1400s to you know, the 20th century, that term was never used again. So for 500 years, where did it go? Was it just being used and being implemented and we didn't need to use the term? You know, where was that really about? And when we go back to our tradition, it's really about 
you know, the theory is that God created the world uh, with such benevolence and such energy that he put it in these vessels and the vessels couldn't contain it and it cracked and it shattered all over the place. And then, of course, uh, one of our sages, uh, Rabbi Isaac Luria, had this idea that um, with strict adherence to our commandments and being civil and being pleasant and being compassionate with one another, we try and put those broken, you know, pieces, those shards back together. You know, humans, humanity's endeavor to start piecing back the world. And, you know, I'm reminded of, of, of the Kabbalah and certainly of the Zohar that says to Adam, the first human being, uh, do not destroy this world. For if you do, there is no one to put the world and set it back into order. And I think when we look at it from that context, we see it as, you know, our trees, our environment, right? All the stuff that we need to survive, uh, kind of our basic human needs. But I, I you know, today in, in, in a world of COVID, I, I see that phrase not only as, you know, the protection of the world, but protection of humanity, how we speak to one another. Because if, 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 if we keep eroding our society away, there's no one left to be able to put it back or set it back rightly. Right. So let's, let's try and find character in, in the American uh, society. Let's try and find some sense of, uh, in, you know, conflict, meaning getting rid of the entanglements uh, between us. And, and let's find some way of Hakarat Atov speaking well uh, about and between each other. Um, and although we have to do it Karov um, and Rachok, we have to do it, meaning we, you know, from the biblical, from Deuteronomy, from which we read on the High Holy Days, kind of both remotely and and in near nearly, um, we say that you know, God's word is both remote and and near. Um, we have to think about the fact that that um, the word uh, Karov um, is connected to the word Korban, and that's the word sacrifice, and so coming close to God. Um, you're going to have to give up of something of yourself in order to come to close to other people. And we have to learn how to do that. We have to live together. Otherwise this world is going to go downhill all the time. And maybe nature is rebalancing itself and we are part of nature. I certainly recommend that new film documentary about the octopus as a teacher. I don't know if you, and people have seen mm -hmm. that, but if, if we watch that movie, you'll learn that we are part of this ecosystem and we have to learn how to live with it as well as with each other as human beings and Jews with Jews and Jews with Christians and everyone else on this planet. You know, I, I, I'm reminded of uh, one of one of many uh, very impactful phrases and um, quotes from uh, Rabbi Abraham Joshua Heschel, um, who said, uh, pray as if everything depended upon God act as if everything depended upon you and i know our community here uh hears these words every friday uh because it is such an amazing phrase which is you know that understanding that we have uh, you know a stake in our own world and we are the ones that can really make a difference in our world and as such we have a responsibility and an obligation to do so so Rabbi Shire, we are almost out of time, but you know, if people wanted to learn more about you and Hebrew College, you know, what's the best way for them to be in contact with you and learn um, more about the Come college? visit us on our website. Uh, think about if you're Jewish and you're thinking about being a leader in the Jewish community, come think about uh, a degree at uh, Hebrew College or one of our ordination programs, and we would be delighted to welcome you, even just to learn, come visit our website. Lots of learning going on, lots of teaching, uh, and we are coming up to Hanukkah, so we'll be thinking about increasing the light for everyone uh, as we uh, move into this uh, December time and season of, of uh, happiness and hopefully joy and 
hopefully we'll have a vaccine and we will be able to get back to the business at hand uh, in, a, uh, in a new joyful way. I'm really delighted, Matt, to reconnect with you and to have this experience. Uh, I think you've frozen on me, but I will uh, uh, say farewell to you and to all your listeners. Well, I guess that was the show. <laughs> <laughs>